Welcome to the Spokane Show, where I feature in-depth interviews with fascinating people while offering a fresh perspective on culture, community, and much more. I'll take you with me on deep dives into some of today's most compelling topics, and hopefully we're going to share some laughs along the way. This is a show about life, so please join me, your host, Eric Walker, for this episode of The Spokane Show. Hi, everybody. Thanks for dropping in on this bonus episode of The Spokane Show. As I was preparing for my upcoming series on human trafficking, I reached out to various local organizations that specialize in helping survivors. None of them called me back except for one, and that organization was Helping Captives. In this special episode of The Spokane Show, I'm going to dive into an extraordinary story of redemption unfolding in Spokane Valley. Picture this, a weathered building with a tumultuous 35-year history, and it began as a beloved family theater in 1938, only to transform into an X-rated movie theater in 1989 and later into a strip club called the Deja Vu. But amidst the shadows of its past, there shines a beacon of hope helping captives a vital force in the battle against human trafficking. Established in 2015 as a ministry in collaboration with churches and other organizations, helping captives originally known as HRC Ministries arose from the passion of Harry, Randy, and Caleb Altmeyer. As they expanded their outreach and became more engaged with their community, they heard stories of individuals, particularly women and children, trapped in human trafficking situations. It was clear they had to take action. And today, Helping Captives provides crucial support to survivors through intervention, stabilization, and recovery services. In a bold move, Helping Captives acquired the very building with a troubled past. For Caleb Altmeyer, this acquisition represents more than just a mere real estate transaction. It's an opportunity to rewrite the narrative for those who have endured suffering. Their mission? To infuse new life into those walls, transforming them into a vibrant center of their Christian ministry. Their initiative is not just about physical renovation. It's about the individuals they serve. With a strategic location and ample space, they're positioned to offer a sanctuary for survivors seeking healing and renewal. And none of this would be feasible without the steadfast support of generous donors and partners who share their vision. Together, they're not only revitalizing a building, but also rebuilding lives one step at a time. I sat down with Caleb Altmeyer in the main room of the former Deja Vu to discuss the ministry's vision and that poignant event they held to reclaim the building at the beginning of February. As you listen, may you be inspired by the power of compassion and the resilience of the human spirit. To Caleb Altmeyer and the entire team of Helping Captives, I extend my heartfelt gratitude for your leadership in transforming despair into hope. Tonight is a night about revival. Tonight is about dedicating the building to God. This isn't about hating on dancers. It's not about hating on women that were here or hating on guys that were here. Half, half of us in here have been in here, probably. It's about dedicating the building to God and helping women that have been out of sex trafficked and forced into the sex industry to have a place to finally call home and to be able to help them have freedom. That's what tonight's about. So if you're going to be posting on social media, and we told the media this, we said, hey, listen, part of tonight is, yes, we are going to be removing the stage. It just is, is what it is. We gotta, we're got to. we going to take out a stronghold. We're going to take out an altar in our community. However, the very women that we're trying to reach, they might not see it like that. They might see it like we're bashing them. And I'm not cool with that. Because we want to reach them. We want to love them. So if you're going to post social media, 
It's all going to be revival at strip club. That's it. If there's going to be a voice that comes out of here or the media catches wind of this, it's going to be revival at a strip club. That's what it's going to be, okay? And then at the end of the night, what we're going to do after we've actually worshiped the Lord and had our time, we're kicking everybody out of the building. When everybody's out of the building, then we're going to line up. And if you want to be a part of that, we'll have four or five of you at a time come in and be a part of uh, removing the stage. And uh, But we're not going to let you film. So if you're here to film that, you're here to get some clickbait on media, we're sorry. It ain't happening. Tonight's about God. My son and I and my father, we thought, you know, let's take the stage out so that there's room for the men's worship night. And so we did that. We came in and broke it up. And I had posted on my personal page some stuff about my struggles with pornography addiction and just things in my past and wanting to make sure that, you know, I called my son Hezekiah because he was a king in the, the Old Testament that uh, wasn't afraid to to stand up and do what's right. I posted that I was really it was a cool dad moment to like be able to take out a stage that it, that although some women that worked here felt safe for a lot of people that we've worked with, the stage defines something completely different to them. For me, you know, being passionate about and have worked with over 150 trafficking victims, I'm like, you know, I'm excited to see something like this removed and to be able to, to take that out with my son. So I posted that and to friends and family, they understood. They, got, they know my past, they know my history, they understand what we do. They've been following me for years about trafficking. And some guy just said, hey, I want it. can you make this public? I shouldn't have done that. I, I said, yeah, sure, I didn't think about it. And I pushed public. And as soon as I did that, it went viral. Um, and part of the post was a, we wanted to do a revival. And I said a stage smashing event, which probably wasn't the best terminology. But I was kind of like, well, I want to get some guys in here. And that's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to remove it. And men are going to see this and go stage smashing. That sounds cool. That was about as deep as it was for me. And then what happened was the media kind of got wind of it. And then they, the, the women that used to work here uh, they felt like we wanting to smash them. We're not angry at the dancers. We're not, but we're we're here to help women that are forced in the sex industry. And and sometimes there's a fine line between choosing it and then you get into addiction and then all of a sudden you're in a bad situation. And so we want to be able to love on people that are in this life. So the night of the event, we had hundreds of guys show up and it was powerful, man. We had people come to Jesus. Uh, we had people repenting, people that had been in the club, people that had been cheating on their wives in here all sorts of crazy stuff. We didn't want the media to really um, take video of us removing the stage because we didn't want to hurt women that might take that a different way. So we let them into the into the revival meeting and, and that kind of caused even more chaos, I guess, with the media because, you know, when you're sitting in here and you're a spiritual person, and one of the things that we heard from all the women was how they felt like this place was haunted. I mean, you moved a lot of stuff out of here, but I still kind of feel an eerie presence. Yeah. Right. It's an eerie, it's an eerie place, man. And you know, when we first moved in here, you got out, you know, naked women all over the walls. You got drug paraphernalia. You know, we were joking with the bouncer. He came in one of the nights and we talked to him and he goes, oh man, I was trying to hide all that stuff. It's not like we're going to snitch on anybody or whatever. So whatever. It's like, we're moving forward. We know what this place, you know, was, but I didn't understand that a lot of the women that worked here, they actually felt like this was safe. And the manager that was here last 
she understood a lot about trafficking. So she would interview the girls and make sure it was their choice. They had hotline cards for trafficking in the in the room. I didn't know any of that before we bought the building. You know, all I've ever heard is stories from traffic victims and their stories of clubs are a lot different because they were forced by their trafficker to perform in them. I wish in some ways we might've communicated a little different. I probably would have bought a lot of meals and just invited the dancers in and, and got to know them and said, hey, here's why we're doing what we're doing moving forward. I had no idea that just me and my son's post would kind of turn all this into it. You know, one of the one of the pastors to get back to kind of the haunted feeling. You know, he came in here and he said, you know, I had I've, a lot of people were like, why are you going to come in here and do a service? Like that place should just be burned down. Like that's kind of a lot of church folks were like, this place should just be ripped apart. But the reality, man, I should have been ripped apart. I didn't deserve a, a second chance. God gave me a second chance. He cleaned me up and gave me a new purpose. And that's what we want to do here. The pastor said, you know, he put a lot of time in prayer into like, what do you want me to do? And he said, as he was praying, because he's a hunter, he said, I've, I felt like God showed me like, you know, I was out in the meadow. And then all of a sudden you hear like a shot fired. You know, any hunter knows like, ah, somebody got a deer or is trying to get one. And he felt like God said, tonight, I want to I want to kick out all the evil spirits or anything that's in that building. Shots are going to be fired and they're going to clear out tonight. So he gets up there and he says, he tells us this story. And so then he says, any evil spirit, any spirit of Jezebel, any spirit of Delilah, it kind of goes through his little speech. He says, we just command you gone. Today's a new day. Today, the building's now owned by helping captives. He had two police officers that were incredible people that were men of faith that put an eviction notice in the wall. It's still up there. They stabbed it to the wall with a knife. And it says an eviction to the devil and all his things. And a lot of the women even would agree that this place felt haunted. And they, I've had a lot of them personally email me, people that have worked here you know, years ago that were like, we hope you can pray over the building. To us, I'm thinking that was a really cool part of the evening. And then we get into the worship, then we get into the pastor's message um, and all these crazy things happen, you know, and the ladies that were out protesting, we were able to talk to them and they brought gifts for the trafficking victims. And it was such a beautiful night. And then we wake up in the morning and the only thing the newspaper kind of talked, said their side and our side. And the only thing they said about the whole evening, not one thing from the pastor's message, not one thing about the guys having a good night here. They just took that one thing that that pastor had said at the beginning about shots being fired and then the Jezebel and Delilah thing and made it sound like, almost kind of like he had said, tonight's shots are being fired and we want no Delilahs and Jezebels in here. So all that hard work that we had done to kind of bridge that gap just immediately blew up. The women that we want to reach, all of a sudden they feel like we hate them. And, they, and they're survivors, man. Some of these ladies are incredible survivors. And they've been through a lot of stuff in their life. And so, you know, many of them, I mean, can you just think about it? Like, it's hard to relate, but to them, being in a strip club is safe compared to the alternative. And I was very upset about that. And I think we just are going to be really careful now with who we talk to. And I don't want to do any little media clip things. I just want to do long form podcasts so we can actually have people actually understand the truth. But unfortunately, you know, people... People read the news and thought the story might be lots of men come in here and worship the Lord. And I'm like, maybe I was just naive. So I'm wrestling through that person the last couple of days because I do want to remove darkness. 
I do want to be light to my city, but I also want to reach people that are going through pain and I don't want to alienate or hurt people or make them feel judged, the very people we're trying to reach. And so I'm kind of wrestling through that personally the last few days of just how to move forward and still obey the Lord, but make this more about Jesus, make this more about lives being changed and, and not about us versus stripper story, you know, because that seems like what the media just wants to make this out to be. And that's the furthest thing from our heart. We didn't even shut the club down. The club was already shut down. Yeah, for a long time. For a long time. We had nothing to do with it, you know. So unusual to me to learn that the media took something out of context. Yeah, unbelievable, right? And I tried everything, try and have a good relationship. And to be honest, I mean, they were fair with their time. They went to the ladies and they went to us. They did, a, did an okay job. I'm not saying they didn't, but there was just a couple things that they took out of context and I wish they would have put it in context. Now they had to print the story that night. They were trying to get it out. So fair play to them, but you know, they're not in my situation. They get a, a good story and I'm the one that has to deal with having to talk to people and get threatened and all sorts of stuff. Right. And that's what's happening right now. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a strange couple of days. Out of all the research I've done, victims justify. They have to come around to realizing that they're not safe. And it takes time. And it takes time. So this symbol of safety yep. was the only thing they can hold on to. Yeah. And now it's gone. And now they're going to have to decide whether or not, hey, was I really a victim? Or did I do this on my own free will? There's always somebody behind the scenes. Personally, I find it hard to believe that they came in on their own. But you may not have an oppressor, but you do have the oppressor of money. You don't do that lap dance, you're not getting the hundred bucks. Well, I would I would tend to agree with you on that. However, I think what's what you and I are looking at a little differently because we're men of God. And so I think we're looking at culturally we've all been groomed. And let me break that down. So as soon as you and I hit seventh grade, here's porn, maybe even younger. If I show an 11-year-old boy people having sex, that's child abuse. So that's going to affect my brain. That's going to affect how I think of women way too early. And then at junior high starts telling you to women, you know, as soon as they hit junior high hallway, the most important thing about you is your looks and what you can give a man sexually. And the most important thing to you, young boys, is your body count. Over time, women just start to believe that's all we care about. And so to them, them at least coming here, they can say no. They can say no to somebody that they don't want to dance with. They're not being forced to do it. And so it's in their, their own mindset. Well, I'm choosing this. Does that make sense? Do you see, see what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't really believe there is an alternative. I think this is just what men want. And this is what I'm good at. And this is what I'm good for. And at least no one's forcing me. No one's raping me. I get to choose whether or not I show my body and I do all these things. And I think that's what we're dealing with culturally now. And that's why you're seeing so much sex trafficking is you got young guys that get addicted to porn. And then all of a sudden it's next step is like, well, let's go see it live. And then, oh, well, let's buy an escort. And they don't really understand that there, there may be people that choose to do this, but there's a lot of people that get forced into the life because of men's addictions. That's what we talked about that night was the reality that we can do better as men and we need to have a different narrative and we need to have a different voice to the women in our community, especially to our daughters. I think as dads, we're kind of just going, hey, the reality of this situation is you're making a living off of us objectifying you. There's things I could have done differently, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm very happy with what God's doing in the facility. And I think over time, people will see our true heart. Well, I appreciate your time today, Caleb. It's especially when you're busy as you are right now with this huge task. You've taken an hour out of your time with me and I appreciate you. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for actually getting the full story and listening. Absolutely. Absolutely.
Thanks, brother. I'm inviting you to join me for a compelling five-part series that will shed light on the disturbing reality of human trafficking. In a world where shadows conceal unspeakable horrors, I'll embark on a journey to expose the sinister underbelly of human trafficking. Over the next five episodes, I'll bring you the real stories, the unfiltered accounts, and the expert insights that will challenge your understanding of this pervasive crime. Join me as I unravel the layers of human trafficking in episode number one, titled The Unseen Chains. From unsuspecting places it occurs to the chilling tactics used by traffickers, I'll dive into the harsh realities survivors face and the courage it takes to break free from these unseen chains. In episode number two, I'll expose the tactics and methods used by traffickers, exploring the psychology behind their actions. Experts in law enforcement will guide us through a dark world of trafficking, revealing the complexities of the traffickers game. Episode number three, the lost children. Human trafficking preys on the vulnerable, often targeting children. In this episode, I speak with organizations working tirelessly to rescue and rehabilitate these young victims. Their stories are going to break your heart and also ignite the fire within you to make a difference. Human trafficking knows no borders. And in episode number four, A World Without Borders, I will explore the global reach of this crime, examining its impact on different societies and cultures. My guests will include international activists sharing their experiences and strategies for combating trafficking on a global scale. We wrap up this series with episode number five, Breaking Chains and Building Hope. In this final episode, I will focus on the positive change makers, the heroes who work tirelessly to eradicate human trafficking. I'll highlight the initiatives, support networks, and progress being made to build a future free from the shackles of exploitation. Subscribe now to The Spokane Show and be a part of the movement to raise awareness and take action against human trafficking. Together, we can make a difference. Stay tuned for my five-part series because sometimes the best way to fight the darkness is to expose it.